This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Seattle Sassy Black is an independent musician and educator. She signed a sub-pop with her former duo The Satisfaction when she was 18. And this year, she was featured on Michelle Obama's official Spotify playlist. Sassy Black is now out with an EP. It's called Stuck. It addresses mental health, working for free, and the Karens of the world. She joins me now to talk about it. Hello. Hi. So the first track on this EP is called Karen Don't Care. She about to pull out a phone and dial 911 on You reference, you know, that white woman who called 911 on a black man who was birding in New York Central Park after he told her to put her dog on a leash. Like that, that was a headline everywhere. And everyone, you know, I feel like people have been talking about Karen before then, but Karen really became a thing, especially when that hit the headlines. And, you know, in the song you talk about people caring about dogs, you know, more than people. She cares more about a dog, a cat, a rat, a leapfrog. But don't give a damn about you and Karen don't care. When that news came down and that story came down, like what were your th- initial thoughts on everything? That was like, I don't know, like the umpteenth Karen story I've heard. The think of the first one where the term Karen was coined was when there is a a white woman in the Bay Area calling the cops on people who are barbecuing at the park. Because there's like some sign somewhere or something in her head. I don't remember all the specifics. Basically saying you can't barbecue here. And she got so mad. And there's this picture of her with like a really smug face and sunglasses on the phone being like, these people are here. Call 911. And it's just like, I think about things like that and how Black existence is always questioned. Like you can't be here doing stuff. You know, and so um, it's just it was just a continuation of that. But it was more of a personal incident or a long line of personal incidents, really, that made me feel like, well, my music is for expression. So I'm going to just say <laughs> just say the facts <laughs> and, you know, just different situations where I've dealt with people who say, yeah, I have a lot of black friends like name one. They're like, uh. <laughs> and they just name a famous person. Well, I watch a lot of Denzel Washington movies. I'm like, okay, this is not going well. So it was just kind of a nice, funny, fun, sad ode to the people who suffer encounters with that kind of negative energy. She says she got black friends, but can't name none of them. You also discuss mental health on this album. You know, you have a song called Anxiety. Anxiety ain't got the best of me, not yet. Anxiety ain't got the best of me, not yet. And a song called Therapy. Ever feel something, then suddenly nothing at all. I've been climbing up this mountain, preparing for a heavy fall. 2020 has been such a year. I mean, from COVID to protests and conversations around Black lives to the election. I mean, there's been so much going on. How has this year impacted you just as a person, as a human, like outside of your existence as a musician? Like, how has 2020 impacted you from a mental health perspective? Uh, It's been super challenging. 
you know, even you asking this question right now, I realize I've been talking about mental health ever since I've been writing music. And it's just a natural aspect of my music from, you know, last year on Ancient Mahogany Gold, I had depression and antidote. And then, you know, before that, I had personal sunlight. And it's, you know, I'm often talking about mental health in some way, loving yourself and, you know, finding time for that. Uh, I just think uh, this year is just a lot, you know, like I've been a touring musician for like a little over a decade, which is weird, but no longer, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) And uh, that's been tough. But, you know, I think it's put me in a place where I could focus more on my craft and my music and really dig into the divine inspiration and the divine connection that comes in with creation, no matter what kind of creation you're doing, whether you're writing or you're painting or you're singing or whatever. It's, you know, it really is a divine process because you are connecting with yourself and it's very personal. So I think I've been having opportunities to expand that. But then um, also some space to be a little bit more transparent about my values and where I stand on things. Um, And then reflection, you know, and just really thinking about the way things are, the way the things should be, the things that you, the way that you want things to be. You know, I'd asked you how this how this year has impacted you as a person. And, you know, you had also talked about just being a musician. That was going to be my second part of the question is how is it impacting you as a musician? I know you've been doing um, a lot of live streams, like you're on Twitch now, you're doing live streams on Instagram. How has the coronavirus impacted your work in music? I miss performing live. It's just been super tough kind of figuring it out. But I am really tech savvy, so I think that made it a little bit easier. Plus, I'm an independent artist. Plus, I already wasn't touring as much as I would have liked to. And that kind of slowed down last year due to an accident. And so it's just been really dramatic and hard. Yeah, I'm not going to act like it's easy. But I think it's it's also been eye-opening, too, to really have moments to reassess my value as an artist and to also... You kind of saw like the real colors of some people in terms of like promoters and venues sometimes. Uh, It's already been kind of weird, wonky, terrible (laughs) for a while. And you could see people's true colors, you know, so. How so? Um, Well, for example, a lot of people asking me to work for free. Tons. Hey, can you do this? One venue reached out and actually said, you know, We'll pay you after we're done paying the crew and the staff, but we want you to come in and perform. And they didn't guarantee me any money. So essentially, and then the cost of what it costs to, you know, pay the venue to do all the stuff. I was like, I could just do this at home, not leave, <laughs> not have to pay for you. Cause basically I'm performing to pay you all, um, which is already like a method that's been very popular and live performances. So that was really tough. You know, it's just hard to see people turn into that. Some people didn't say thank you. Some people wouldn't even say thank you. Uh, And a lot of people just ask you to do like a free live stream performance, you know. And then I there's a couple opportunities where I got paid to do live stream performances. And that's where I'm at now, which is a great place to be in. But it's really unfortunate because so much of the structure of the industry is reliant on free labor. So people don't even think twice, you know, Musicians are hurting, too. So why would you ask me to perform for free? You know, (laughs) this is crazy. And it seems like you're exploring this whole idea of the fact that the music industry relies on free labor in your song. 
what do you want? I'm constantly giving my time for free for Lolo Feso. I don't even give a punk, I don't even give a punk. Tell me more about this track. Oh, I love that song. I was really frustrated one day because somebody else asked me to do something. I don't know if it was a meeting or it was consultation or just to pick my brain or something. I was just like, what do you want though? Like I do so much. <laughs> I do so much for free. And you know, like you do stuff out of the kindness of your heart, but then it's hard to maintain that, you know, because people aren't showing you the same level of respect or, you know, they're not taking the time to listen to your music or come to your show or any of that stuff. You know, it's like, even when you volunteer and you donate your time and your energy, you know, where's the reciprocity? It's, you know, it should be something like, I care about you. We care about each other, you know, but it's so not that. <laughs> and so it's just like, I don't even care, dude. What do you even want? Like, I already do so much. Like, uh, <laughs> what now? You know, I think about some of the things you've said in this conversation and just some some thoughts and ideas that people have been talking about, you know, during this pandemic as it relates to the music industry. It's like there were so many aspects of the music industry that was broken before COVID. And like now is a time that we can reflect and like, OK, when people can see performances in person again, like what can we do different? And I'm curious what when things go back to normal after this pandemic, if they go back to normal, what changes you would like to see within the music industry? Well, I have dropped the concept of us ever returning to normal because I don't really want that because normal was not enough. It wasn't substantial. It wasn't sustainable. So whenever whatever happens, <laughs> I'll call it that, whenever we move in some direction and hopefully a positive one, I, you know, value your artist, spend time listening to musicians and things like that. You know, I appreciate all of my supporters and things like that. It's really hard to convert people to want to watch and stream this or play that and things like that. So having compassion for artists. Also, you know, employing people who understand the value of being anti-racist and who practice it. You know, putting your staff through trainings, taking the, ac the opportunity to do that. And the things that are quite accessible here uh, you know, especially in Washington, especially in King County, taking the time to elevate, you know, it's just like so it's so whack to say, oh, we've been doing it like this, you know, or we always have to do this or we always have to split percentages or we always have to do it like that. You know, I think the other issue is that a lot of businesses do not have the structure to sustain which they wish to showcase. And that's unfortunate. So the artists are always the last ones um, to be thought of. And if you're Black or Indigenous or a person of color or a woman or uh, queer or LGBTQIA or disabled, we're really screwed, you know, because they think, uh, not they, but people consider and promoters and venues consider us to be the lowest. And so it's unfortunate. And it, it, it's even hard for me to say, to be honest, because I've been living it for so long and trying to be patient uh, about it, you know. But why? 
when it, the exploitation doesn't stop and the professionalism doesn't exist across the board. So I don't know. I just think it needs to be a restart. Oh, okay. I have this crazy idea. I don't know why I would share it right now <laughs> while me. I'm on an interview. <laughs> I was like, this is the poorest time to share your <laughs> imaginary thought. But I had this idea. This is so silly. But, you know, like to have like just a few venues exist in in an area, right? And then promoters and such would have to pick a time on the calendar, you know, pick time frames, and then they would cross promote it. And then we can create a sustainable system, a musical industry, right? Because those same venue, you might be seeing the biggest artists, you might be seeing the smaller artists and making space for that. And it would have to be a part of a, like a membership base, you know? So promoters would have to pay dues to keep the building alive and to maintain it and stuff. And then they would have to have trainings and stuff like that. I, I know it's, it's preposterous, really, because so many people are like, no, I want my own venue. I wouldn't want to go to a venue that they have these kind of shows and these kind of shows, you know. But it's just one concept because buildings cost so much to have and maintain. Staff is so expensive and things like that, you know. And there's just got to be some kind of structure to make the experiences better, you know, whether it's like being served by the bartender or being ignored by the bartender, even if you're uh, performing or being disrespected by the sound people up until after your set when they're like, that was pretty good, I guess. I'm like, <laughs> okay, shut up. You know, so that's the kind of thing that I think could be real because until we have sustainable audiences and sustainable practices, it's always going to be like, yeah, we had a sold out night this night and the other night was 10 people, you know? So I just think there just needs to be a revamp. I've been speaking with Sassy Black. Her latest EP is called Stuck. Thank you so much for chatting today. Thanks for having me. Ever feel something? Oh, ever feel something? And suddenly nothing at all. I've been climbing up this mountain. Waiting for a heavy fall Ever feel something Then suddenly nothing at all I've been climbing up this mountain Waiting for a heavy fall Ever feel something and suddenly nothing at all I've been climbing up this mountain Preparing for a heavy fall My black, 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 black self Has been babbling, dabbling with these unkind affairs I want you to know my queen, my sister that I will always be there So please Let on me Let on me Let on me
was Seattle Sassy Black, who, by the way, will be teaching a series of songwriting workshops through Seattle's Hugo House starting in January. And that was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you want to go the extra mile, you can give a one-time $20 donation to support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.